Okay, so we are in our Moses series, and I love this story of Moses. I've read, like most of you probably have read or are familiar with some of the key points of Moses' life. You know, you got the you got the baby in the basket, you got the burning bush, you got the Red Sea, you got the Ten Commandments, you got all of these things with Moses' life. And so what we're doing is we're taking Moses' life and we're asking the question, you know, what does this have to do with me, God? Um, why is this even, even in God's word? Why is this here? Well, it's here in God's word for us to learn and to, uh, and to apply into our lives. In our, in our first week, we talked about running ahead of God. You ever got to the point to where you were running ahead of God? To where you said, you know, God, I'll, I'll take care of it. Instead of relying upon God, you're saying, God, I can do this. I, that happens to me all the time. And I'm always just having to say, okay, all right, is this me or is this God? Because if it's me, it's not going to go over really well. And, and, and I know that because I've experienced that. And so you might be in a similar situation where you feel like you're going to run ahead of God. And we found out through Moses' story while he was prince of Egypt and he tried to run ahead of God and try to take care of matters in his own hands. He's like, you know, God, I got this. I'm going to kill one of these soldiers, these Egyptian soldiers, even though I'm a prince of Egypt. And I'm going to kill one of these. Well, there's probably lots more, and you can't do that one day at a time. And, you know, and, and you're not going to do well because God, God wants to do a work through his power, not through Moses' power. And so when we do get ahead of God, we find that others will suffer. Others will suffer longer. We also find that uh, we will uh, often lose our identity, just like Moses. He, he, he moved away from Egypt, moved away from his family, uh, from who he was. And lost his identity as a person, lost his influence. You know, we, when we get ahead of God, we can lose our influence of who we are as a person, as a, as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a wife, as a, as a student, you know, or a boss. Um, we will also uh, will not serve God in the prime years of our life. Moses was 80 years old when the burning bush, when God spoke to the burning bush. And I know there's people who still serve God in their 80s and 90s and beyond, and that is great. But I think we can all agree that Moses was not in his prime of his life. So he missed out on serving God in the prime. We all want to serve God in the prime years of our life. Last week, we talked about dealing with, um, dealing with some uh, deficiencies uh, where, where Moses was, uh, he had the burning bush and, and God talked to him, God spoke to him. And so, but, but just like us, Moses has uh, some shortfalling, some deficiencies. And so God wants to look beyond that, and God wants to use that. And by the way, when God speaks, um, he, he makes it clear when he speaks, but many times we get to the point to where we're waiting so much on God to speak that we miss the sign of God. It's just like Jackson shared last week in the message that when, when the burning bush happened, God did not speak until Moses went over there towards the burning bush. But the burning bush was a sign. It was a sign. And so many times we're waiting for God to speak, God to speak, but God has already given you signs in your life of change. Hey, this needs to happen. Hey, I'm calling you to do this. I want you to do this. Look for the signs. And we're so busy doing other stuff. We're so busy, you know, looking at, you know, at our phones and computers and all this stuff. We're missing out on the signs that God is trying to share with us. Students, God, God gives you signs all the time. 
God gives you those signs and he speaks to you through, through signs and he's trying to tell you, look, you can, you can do this. I want you to do this. I want you to take this class or I want you to be involved in this group. I want you to you know, be involved in this club or whatever. And God has given you some signs in your life. Many times we just wait for God to speak, God to speak, God to speak. And God is speaking through the signs. But even when God spoke, Moses made excuses. Moses said, you know, okay, God, really? I'm 80 years old. I've killed somebody. Remember that, God? I killed somebody about 40 years ago. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't speak well. Um, I just, I don't really know how to do this. So he's making excuses after excuses after excuses. And God answered every single one. You know, it doesn't matter about your past. Moses, I'm calling you, I'm calling you, I'm calling you. Yes, at 80 years old, I'm calling you. So just like Moses, don't let your past affect your future. Don't let your past affect your future in serving God. And when I say serve God, I don't mean you're going to be a, a, a pastor or minister or whatever. You're, you can serve God right where you are, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, how people look at you, in your family. You can serve God. And so don't let your past mistakes affect your future work for God. And God will call you even with those past mistakes. So this week. This week, we're going to talk about obedience. So Moses, and this is all about the pursuit of God, the tagline of the series, pursuing God. And so as, as uh, Moses is pursuing God, he decides, all right, I'm going to take my family. So he takes his wife and his kids, and he leaves Midian and heads toward Egypt. But what we're going to find out today is just like disobedience causes problems in our life, we can all agree with that. But just like disobedience causes problems, can I tell you something? Obedience can also cause some problems in our lives. Have, have, you ever, have you ever obeyed God and found out, man, this isn't as easy as I thought. This isn't as easy as I thought. And so there's all kinds of, of new things in life's equation that, that gets jumbled up in things whenever we decide, hey, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to leave where I'm at right now, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to obey God. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then you're like, boom, you get slammed. You get hit by a Mack truck, and you realize, man, this is difficult. So Moses met up with his brother Aaron in Egypt to begin this calling. And we're going to be in, in, in Exodus chapter 4. Scripture's on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 29 to 30. It says, Moses and Aaron, Aaron was his brother, brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Oh, this is so great. Moses comes back, and, and, you know, people, you know, they forget about him killing somebody, and, and he comes back, and Aaron is there. Of course, Aaron is, has been in Egypt the whole time, and so he, he comes over there, and they give this plan, and they share with what God's doing. He shows them some signs with the staff, and, um, and so people would kind of believe with that, and everything was going great. Now, all they had to do was convince Pharaoh. No big deal. The most powerful person in the world. We just have to convince the guy on the throne. So let's pick up there in Exodus chapter five, verse one through five. 
It says, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. We hear that phrase many times as we study this passage. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go, which makes sense. They had lots of gods in Egypt that they served. Who is this Lord God? Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Burning bush. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. Foreshadowing. Verse four. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor. Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. So he goes on to say that they left and Pharaoh decides, you know what? I'm a little ticked off that these guys came and and tried to convince me to let them go and worship some God that I don't know. So I tell you what, let's make this a little harder. You know, the, the Israelites, they make bricks all the time. Bricks, bricks, they're making bricks. That's what they do. And in order to make bricks, they need straw. In order to, to be part of the brick, you know, composite and the structure. So they make, the, they, they make bricks with straw. And the straw has always been brought to them by Egyptians. They go cut it. Egyptians will bring the straw to them. They would make bricks. Well, Pharaoh's like, you know what? Yeah, we're done providing them with the straw. They can go find the straw themselves, cut it, and bring it. So he makes this announcement. Hey, Israelite slaves, uh, not only are you going to make bricks, you're going to have to go get the straw for the bricks. Oh, and by the way, you're still going to have to meet your quota for for the month. You're still going to meet your quota. And and the Israelites had, the the slaves had uh, supervisors who were Israelites, who were overseeing them. And guess what? When, when, when something went wrong, they got punished. But they were asked to do something impossible. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 20 through 21, it says, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses. Now, these are the, the supervisors. They found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, I don't know about you, but that looks a little different than than a few days ago whenever they were worshiping God, thanking God for this deliverer, Moses, who's gonna come in, and God, by your power, and everything's gonna be great. Well, guess what? Things aren't great. So now you have Pharaoh, who's not even listening to you, then we, and we also have Israelite leaders who are criticizing you. Have you, ever, have you ever been discouraged? Of course you have. We've all been discouraged. When we feel like we're doing something good, we feel like we're doing something good, and then something happens to, to discourage us. Why was Moses discouraged? Why was he discouraged? Well, we're going to look at, it, at, at about three things and why he was discouraged, and we're going to apply this to our lives. First of all, obedience makes things 
worse. Now, not all obedience. I don't want you to think that if you obey, everything, everything's going to be bad. But, but obedience is designed to correct things in our life and to ultimately make things better. But there is an initial point whenever our actions meet our obedience and there's a clash, a big clash. And, and sometimes that clash is, is to a point where, man, I wasn't expecting this. I, I'm, I'm really discouraged by this. Sometimes it can make matters worse. So what it did is it made the Israelites have to work even harder. You know, sometimes things have to get messy when we try to improve things. Take, for instance, if you decide to remodel your house, let's just take the kitchen. You take the kitchen, and you want, I have no idea how to remodel anything, okay? So I, I vacuum, I, I can wash dishes, you know, I can hammer a couple of things. I do have a screw gun. That's great. A saw. Unless my kids have taken it and hidden it in the woods. So anyway, but, but when you remodel something like a kitchen, it becomes a mess. I mean, if you decide tomorrow to remodel your kitchen and I go to your house and I look, walk in and I go, this is awful. How could you live here? What? This is, are you going to clean this up? No, pastor, we're remodeling. So it gets to the point where if you're going to have something that you want to do in your kitchen, in your house or whatever, it's got to look worse before it gets better. That's the same way with our life. When it comes time for us to, to, to make choices, to make changes in our life, and God's calling you to do something in your life, and say, look, I need you to do this. You say, okay, I'll make some adjustments. And those adjustments can often be a little messy before they get better. So he was discouraged because everybody thought Moses, that man, made the situation worse. I'm sure he must have thought, okay, I tried serving God, but it didn't work. I tried serving God, but it didn't work. I've, I've met families. I've met families both you know, within the church, but mostly uh, with other churches I've served in the past. Families who, they'll decide, all right, we need to get our family in church. And maybe they'll have teenagers, and they'll come to church, and they haven't been to church in a while. And then they come, they realize, okay, this is, this is good. It's a good adjustment. I feel like God is calling us, our family to come to church. And they come to church, and then they, they get home, and there's some, uh, there's some consequences. I mean, there's some clashing going on with what the message was about. Uh, maybe the kids didn't like it. Music was too loud. Was it loud enough? The pastor was too short. The pastor was too long. Not short, you know. The pastor was too long. I know all of these, all of these things. I, and I didn't really like what he said. I really don't like the youth minister. I don't like what the kids are doing. You know, there's not free donuts, you know. Whatever it is. And then they kind of realize, man, this is really difficult to get our family into church. To get our family in the church. And so some families, they do this. They're like, all right, so we're just going to uh, try this for a few weeks and that for a few weeks and this over here for a few weeks and this for a few weeks. And they just keep doing this over and over and over again. And they realize that the clashing and all of the turmoil in their life just continues, continues to happen. Now, I know that when you move into a new area, we've, we've had, actually had to do this before. When you move into a new area, you have to find a new church. And obviously, there's a time where you have to go shop around, I guess. Shop around and look or pray and, and seek the Lord on that. But I'm talking about people who've, who've been there for a while, 
and they just want to make sure everybody feels good about it. You know, everybody feels good about it. Rather than it's like, okay, what is God saying to the family? What is God saying to the family? Because guess what? If there's a little bit of turmoil, if there's a little bit of question, if there's a little uh, bit of kind of pushback, that's okay. Because guess what? That means the enemy doesn't like it. It means the enemy doesn't like it. We've had families. There's families sitting, sitting right here in the, in, in the center section. A, a high schooler, football player said, man, I'm taking my family to church. They've been at church. Pray for his dad, Patrick. He's in the hospital. We've been praying for him. So, so you, as an example, when God calls you to make some changes, and you know he is, there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be like, man, I thought things would get better. I thought things would get better. Last night, it was kind of weird for me. I went to the ER last night. I did. Staff, they're hearing this for the first time. Hey, staff. Elders are hearing this for the first time. So I went to the ER last night. You know why I went to the ER? I went to Redmond. And I went to Redmond over there. We live in New Harlem, so it's not that, that far. And so, because I was having some major heart palpitations and a really, really bad headache. And it was like, man, I'm dying, you know? I'm like, and I've never had this. So I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check my blood pressure. So I went to CVS, blood pressure, 180 over 110. And I was like, this, is that good? I don't think it's good. And so I called my mom. She's a nurse. And, of course, Suzanne was there. They're like, no, you need to go. And so we went. And by the time I got there to the ER, and they did a great job. I mean, triage was awesome. And they were poking me, and things were blowing up and all kinds of stuff. And things are on my chest. And I was like, man, this is awesome. You know, but it was still kind of scary because you see a bunch of white coats. All right, a bunch of white coats, and they're working on you and, and poking you and drawing blood and all this stuff. And then they take your blood, you know, they, they take your, um, your blood pressure. Well, by then, my blood pressure was 195. 195. I'm usually, I'm usually at 120, okay? And, and I've never had high blood pressure. And I'm like, what is this about? And, and they say, wow, 195, that's really high. It's like, well, it was 180 just before I came here. I was like, you guys caused my blood pressure to go up because you're doing all this stuff, right? So I'm like going down, look, I'm, I'm a wreck. <laughs> no, but they, uh, then they gave me some medicine and my heart rate went down back to 126 and, and I guess I'm okay. If I fall over, you know what's wrong. So, but anyway, I, I say this because last night I thought, okay, I'm gonna get to the ER. Oh, it's gonna be great. I'm I'm there, and and they're going to take good care of me, and everything's going to good. My heart rate's going to go down, and it went up. It's the opposite. So when when things when you got when you got things in your life that God wants to do in your life, your heart rate may just go up. It it probably won't go down. Things other issues may rise up. So we we have obedience could make things worse. The second thing that can happen when you oh, decide to obey God is that it would seem that you will fail, okay? You would seem that you will fail, but not only you will fail, it would seem that God has failed you. It would seem like God has not, not kept his promise because here he is, Moses is standing there with Israelites criticizing him, leaders criticizing him, and, and he's thinking, all right, 
God, you were supposed to do something. Remember the conversation with the burning bush? You were supposed to do something, and now you're not. You're failing. Yeah, how, could, how, could you, how could you do that? Well, Moses had a disconnect between the prom, uh, promise of God and the providence of God, what God could provide and what God had in store. Because, see, what Moses didn't realize is that God had ready frogs and gnats, you know, and locusts and, and, and blood for the Nile. I mean, he had all of these plagues lined up and ready to go, just holding back like a bull, ready to go in the fight. And Moses had no idea. And so oftentimes when God, when nothing's happened and we, we get discouraged, we think, well, God, you're not, you're not really doing anything. You said this would happen. And, and, and it's not. But what Moses forgot to do, he forgot to revisit the plan. There's always a plan. God always has a plan. Now, he, he, he doesn't necessarily often give us everything about the plan, but God actually in this case did. Because this is a huge thing. God told him the plan. And we read it in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21 through 23. It says, the Lord said to Moses. Now, this is before all of this happened, okay? Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, okay? So he's still in Midian. See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart, Pharaoh's heart, so that he will not let the people go. All right, that's going to happen. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. That is the last plague. That's plague number 10 when he kills the firstborn, and Pharaoh's firstborn son is one of them. God tells Moses what's going to happen. And Moses forgot to revisit the plan. So, so when you feel like God is silent or God is just not working or God is failing, revisit the plan. Revisit the plan. So let me, let me share with you on this. So it, whatever change God has asked you to make, whatever things God has asked you to obey, whether it be you know, spirit, your spiritual life, your marriage, your, your finances, relationships, you know, whatever change, whatever improvement God is asking you to make as the Holy Spirit moves, write it down. What does that look like? What does that look like? Ask God. God, what does that look like in my life? Okay? I'm writing down, okay, what does it look like not to have heart palpitations? <laughs> what does it look like? I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this. Okay? Well, great. So I'm writing that down, and because... I can have a better health, I could do all these other things. And so you write that down and you revisit this. And you say, okay, God, whatever these things are in your life, you can revisit that and say, okay, this is what it's gonna be like. I know it seems like God might be silent, God might be failing you, but you gotta be able to write it down. So write it down, God is not failing you. Write out that plan. Uh, third thing. Not only do we feel like God is a failure, we feel like that we are a failure. We feel like that we are a failure. Um, you know, Moses did not convince Pharaoh. Moses had no one to follow him, except maybe his brother. And so Moses was there 
left Midian, left a career, left a stable home life, uprooted his family, back to Egypt, a place where he killed somebody, a place that he's like, okay, who am I? Am I Hebrew? Am I, am I Egyptian? What, what is this? And he had, you know, he had this call from this burning bush, which is really cool. Thank you, God, for doing that. But then he's like, okay, nobody's following me. And I can't even convince Pharaoh. And not only am I receiving criticism, I'm receiving destructive criticism. Not constructive, but destructive. It's destructing my confidence in what God has called me to do. Moses did make a stink in the eyes of Pharaoh regarding the Israelite people. Just by obeying God. He's saying, man, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. But, but how, did, how, did Joe, how, did, uh, how did Moses respond to this? We, we see in, um, in Exodus chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this, this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. If you've not rescued your people at all. So God wants you, first of all, to be honest with him and be upfront. You could talk to God in these kinds of ways. God is big enough. God can handle that. You could be honest with God. God, I, I, just, I just don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. I'm a failure, God. Why is this happening? But one thing that we find that Moses did not do, and here's, here's what's important. When you feel like that you're failing as a, as a dad, as a mom, as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a student, as an athlete, as a coworker, whatever title, whatever area in your life, you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm not doing that really well. Um, this, is, this is something you can use. Because this is one thing that, these are some things that Moses did not do. He did not ignore the criticism. He didn't ignore it. He took it. The criticism from the Israelites. So whatever role you're in, when people criticize you, just take it. Say, okay, I'm going to take that. And I'm going to use it. But also, nowhere in Scripture do we, we find it. He did not blame others. He did not blame, blame other people. He did not blame Pharaoh, he did not blame the Israelites. So, so when you do receive criticism, when you do feel discouraged, don't blame other people. Don't pass that blame onto something else. Well, I, yeah, I, I would be a, a better father if, if this wasn't happening or this person or my job or this or that. And I've done that myself. Use that and I'll just push your blame. Own it. Listen to the criticism. Do not ignore it. And do not blame others. And the last thing, do not try to defend yourself. Moses didn't do that. Don't try to defend yourself. Oh, yeah, but, but I, I, I did this and I did that. Oh, yeah, you, you just watch. You know, don't try to defend yourself. Allow God Allow God to defend that. Because 
whatever God has called you to do, this is really important. It's not even my notes. Listen, what God has called you to do, you've got to get to the point to where, all right, this is God's project. This is God's calling. I, I'm, just, I'm just a person who's walking in it, okay? This is God's calling. I'm the person that's just walking in it. It's almost like if God gave you a car, okay? Like a really, really, really nice car. My son Landon went to uh, prom. Well, he went to prom last night, and he went to prom last week too, so he's like prommed out. All right, but he got to, he got to ride a really, really cool Mercedes-Benz convertible, and it, it, was, it was awesome. He even named the car Sadie. Don't name the car. But we, he, he drove, a friend of mine, has a, it doesn't belong to church, just friend, somebody outside of church. Hey, just borrow my Mercedes-Benz convertible. It's awesome, okay? So Landon, I mean, he's driving his car. You may not know everything about how the car works, and that's okay. But man, you look really good in that car. Well, I, I'm saying this because, listen, what God is calling you to do in your life, God wants you to, to look like you're driving in a Mercedes-Benz, a convertible Mercedes-Benz, two-seater sports, goes zero to 70 in, well, I can't, I can't talk about it, but I've checked it out. It's really good. But God wants you to ride in your life in a Mercedes-Benz. He wants you as a father to be riding in that Mercedes-Benz convertible. Man, look at this guy. As a mother, as a spouse, students, God wants you to be the shining example, shining like stars, as Paul said, and, sh- and shining like stars as an example to those around you. He wants your life to look like a convertible Mercedes-Benz. And guess what? You're not going to know everything about that car. That's okay. It's God's car. It's not your car. It's God's car. So whatever God's calling you to do, whatever step of obedience, that's God. God, you own that. That's yours. I'm just riding in it. And that's okay. So, so don't, don't ignore any kind of criticism. Don't ignore the fact that you don't know how everything works on this Mercedes-Benz. Don't blame other people. Well, he didn't teach me. Or don't, don't try to defend yourself. In, in this calling. Um, as we sort of wind this out, to pursue God, there needs to be some, some deliverance. Oftentimes, when we pursue God, we match our life, our unholy life. And I stand here, chief of sinners in this room, pastor of this church, and, and I stand here in my life Compared to the holiness and righteousness of God, my life is a filthy rag. Awful. And so as I stand here and, I, and, my, and, and compare my life to his life, I know that there needs to be some changes. I know that there needs to be some deliverance that happens in your life. And, and next week, we're going to talk about what that deliverance looks like. And next week, you, you might think we're going to be looking at this, these plagues, these 10 plagues through one person's eye, but we're actually going to look at it from someone else's viewpoint, and I cannot wait to share that with you, the 10 plagues, you don't want to miss it. But obviously, the Israelites, they, they do get delivered, but what is the gospel message of deliverance in the Exodus? Because that gospel message of deliverance is right there. The Jews were held in slavery and in bondage. The New Testament gospel is we are often held in spiritual slavery. We are held in bondage. There are things in our life that can hold us 
and hold us back. Yes, even as believers, okay, there are things in our life that can just feel like they're handcuffing us and we, we can't really do anything. It's like we're, we're immobile and we can't really be used by God to the fullness of our ability. Why? Because we're enslaved. We're held captive by sin in our life. But we can have deliverance just like the Israelites. What does that look like? That looks like that just like the, just like the Jews. The Jews did not deliver themselves. They did not say, okay, Moses, stop all this nonsense. We're just going to go in and leave. That couldn't happen. The, the army, the Egyptian army would have slaughtered them. They did not deliver themselves, just like the Jews. We cannot deliver ourselves. I don't care how hard you try. I don't care how hard you try. Whatever, whatever is holding you back, whatever is, it, it has you in bondage, you can't do that on your own strength. Many people try. Oh, you might can get by for a little bit. Yes, but it's still there. So you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the prayers of other people. You need God's word. It takes lots of prayer. It takes lots of focus. It takes lots of help. You cannot do your own, on your own because the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us for those of us who have accepted Christ as Savior, and we can rely upon that power to deliver us. It's not by our strength, but by your might. So we can... We can have that deliverance. You know, the deliverance also involves a purchase. It involves a purchase. Redemption, the word redemption is is a financial term. It's a money term. It means purchase or ransom, delivered by payment of a price. The gospel of Exodus involves a blood purchase. In Exodus, blood sprinkled on the doorpost in Egypt by the killing of a spotless lamb. We are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. As as the death angel in the last plague passed over Egypt, he passed over the doorpost with the blood of the lamb. Something had to die. Who died in our place. Who was the spotless lamb? Of course, it was Jesus, God's one and only spotless lamb. As it says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. By his blood, we are delivered from our bondage. We cannot do it ourselves. It takes a price. It takes a, pur- a purchase. And lastly, it takes grace. The, li- the deliverance was based on grace. The Jews did nothing to earn their freedom. Moses didn't come and say, all right, Jews, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do all these things for God. And, and when you do these things, God will think about setting you free based upon how well you do these things. That's not what Moses said. But there, there, there was nothing they had to do. 
Except, of course, in the, that, uh, by the tenth plague, they had to kill a lamb and put blood on their doorpost to save their life. But there was nothing that they could do to earn their freedom, to earn their deliverance. Just like them, we cannot earn our freedom. We cannot earn our freedom from sin. There's nothing we can do. It's all based upon grace because salvation is a free gift of God. The free gift of God. All we got to do is accept it. So if you're, if you're thinking, well, I got to do these things in order for God to like me, for God to love me, so who, you know, maybe, maybe I can go to heaven. That's, that's the devil's plan to warp the gospel message. The gospel message is simple. Receive the free gift of salvation and stop trying to earn it because you can't. You can't, and you're not going to be able to. It's based upon grace. I love this in Exodus chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites. This is the Lord talking. Whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore to you by the uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. Why? Because I am the Lord. Some of you need to realize, we all need to be reminded God wants to be the one doing the work. All it takes in us, just walk in obedience. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Obedience is hard, especially at first, because God's plan hasn't rolled out yet. It will. It will roll out. So whatever, whatever you feel like God's telling you to do and you haven't obeyed him yet, maybe it's time. And you're, and you're looking down that road and you're thinking, man, there's just, there's just no way I can do this. There's no way I could turn this area of my life around. You're right. There's no way you can. But God can. Because God is a great I am. He is a great I am. I am what you need. I am what you need. So today, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What are you afraid to obey? What error in your life? You know God's calling you to do this, and you're afraid to obey. Or maybe you started walking in that obedience, and it got a little scary. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. Just commit to the Lord this week. Commit to the Lord right now. Lord, I'm going to try it again. Or I'm going to start that journey. Yeah, students, some of you. It may mean taking some of your friends. Like, you know what? I gotta push you to an outer circle. You're too close to my life. 
because it's affecting me. And you're going to get, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Like the things they tore off my chest last night, the EKG. Ow. <clears throat> yes, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And that's fine. But it's, you're going to be better for it. But there's also people here today, you may be thinking, okay, Frank, that whole thing you shared about the gospel message, and how I'm trying to earn it, and I'm not really getting anywhere with that. Maybe I need to surrender my life. I need to wave the white flag. Maybe you need to do that today. So just as we close out the service, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you could, please. As we close out the service, <clears throat> I want you to just really focus in on what the Lord is trying to tell you right now with no distractions. So something about where you're going to go to lunch or what you got to do today or what assignment students you still have to complete before, to, before tomorrow. Just get all that stuff out of your head and ask the Lord, Lord, what area in my life am I not obeying you? Just ask that in your heart. Lord, what area in my life am I not obeying you? And then ask the Lord, Lord, just give me, give me strength. Give me endurance. Give me faith to know you've got the plan. Help me trust you with this. And then if you're ready, just commit to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to go back again. I'm going to start obeying you. Or I'm going to just start this journey. Just commit that to the Lord if, if you're ready. And if you're sitting here today and you have never accepted Christ as Savior, you never invited him to be Lord of your life, and you're thinking, Frank, I, I just... I just have some unsettling in my, in my heart. I just have never, ex, ex, I've never invited Jesus to be Lord of my life. I've been trying to fix things and it, it's not going anywhere. I just, I, I, be, I think I'm, it's too complicated. I need to simplify. I just need to ask Jesus to be Lord of my life and come of my life and forgive me my sins. With no one looking around, if that is you and you're ready to make that decision, just show me by uplifted hand. Uplifted hand, if that is you, if you need to accept Christ as Savior. If that is you, you could say this prayer right now. You could say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me, Jesus. I ask you to come into my life, to be Lord in my life. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose again. So I give you my heart. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.